Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm feeling very like a Barbie girl. (laughs) Are you? (laughs) Is there a reason for that? Or just you let me see one Barbie movie? Yeah. You let you take me to see one Barbie movie, and then all of a sudden, I feel like I can just do literally anything. Melissa, we went together and saw the Barbie movie. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was so funny. I'm like still cracking up over certain things that happened. It was it was great. I don't want the Polly Pocket movie. Please stop making movies like this. Let's just enjoy that this was so fun, right? Oh, is there a Polly Pocket in the works? They're trying to make a Polly Pocket movie. All of like basically since Mattel's had so much success, like there's already things sold so it's like oh, Polly Pocket nice. I feel Good like for them. <laughs> it, it was something else like Rubik's Cube or something crazy that I was like how do you make a movie off that it might even be like Connect Four I mean just really really wild um so please just stop here because this was perfection I absolutely loved it it was yes I know and while we were watching the movie we both like were commenting on just how gorgeous Margot Robbie is she was the perfect Barbie I thought it was just the My whole cast gosh. was great. Everything about it was so great. And yeah, I just, I loved it. I would see it again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to end up bringing my daughter. I didn't think she'd be interested. And I told her, she's like, was it good? I was like, yeah, I loved it. She's like, oh, okay. I want to go see it. 
Like, wow, any type of connection you can get with a teenager, you're like all about. So like, absolutely. When do you want to see it? When are you busy? Are you are you up for anything? When can you go? <laughs> Ask your mom. Right. Who happens to be me. <laughs> for sure. For sure. All right. So for this week's story, um, we're doing something a little bit different, and I'm super excited. This actually was all our lovely researcher Haley's idea. She truly is full of all the great ideas every single time. Um, And she really just genuinely loves to share stories for people who can't share their own story. And that's one of the things that we love about working with Haley so much. So when she came to us with this idea, we, of course, were like, yes, this is brilliant. So she was actually working on uh, some research for a new podcast that we also think will interest a lot of our listeners. It's called Detective Perspective. And it's hosted by somebody that is going to be familiar to true crime enthusiasts, uh, Derek Lavasser. And if you've listened to us since the very beginning, beginning. Congratulations, you deserve some kind of a medal. But you might recall that we actually (laughs) talked to Derek. Uh, But we actually did talk to Derek ourselves when we discussed the OJ Simpson story. And this was years ago, I think that might have even been in the first year of the podcast. So it's been a very, very long time. Uh, But Derek is a former police detective and a private investigator. And he's hosted popular true crime TV shows in the recent years. And now he's joining the podcast space with Detective Perspective. And he's going to be discussing the facts of each case, giving his perspective and sharing contact information for individuals or organizations that are connected to these cases to hopefully bring in tips that can help solve them. So this week, we are doing kind of a crossover with Detective Perspective about some missing persons cases in Chautauqua County, New York. And the story of how this idea actually came about is really pretty cool too. As I said, Haley had been doing some research about the unsolved murder of a woman named Yolanda Bendix for Detective Perspective when our podcast, Moms and Mysteries, uh, got an email suggesting that we discuss Yolanda's case as well as two other missing persons cases from the same area. And since Yolanda's story was already going to be covered, Haley asked if we would discuss the other two cases so that all three of them would be able to get the coverage that they deserve. So today we will be discussing the cases of Lori Beauvais and Corey Anderson, who both went missing in Chautauqua County. And when you're done listening, you can head over to Detective Perspective to hear the full story of Yolanda Bendix, who went missing in the same county. New York is one of those states that stretches very wide and covers a lot more land than you might first think. It's kind of a lot like Florida in that sense, where if you're in Tallahassee and you want to get to Miami that's going to cost you about seven hours in the car. So it may as well, it's just like driving to another state. It might as well be in another state. And that's really a similar comparison to how far Chautauqua County, New York is from New York City. It's about seven hours in the car. So if you're not familiar with that area, you probably aren't alone. Chautauqua County sits all the way on the west side of New York, stretching from Lake Erie down to the Pennsylvania state border. The total population in the county is about 140,000 people, and they live in various small towns that make it up. The largest city in the county is Jamestown, which is about 70 miles southeast of Buffalo. But there are many smaller towns that are part of this week's story. The first case that we're going to discuss today is the unsolved disappearance and assumed murder of 26-year-old Lori Beauvais. It was June 7, 1997, when Lori Beauvais vanished without a trace. That summer, Lori and her newlywed husband Tyrone were in the midst of an exciting time as they prepared to close on their first home and celebrate two years of marriage. They were excited to start planning a family after having already been together for years. They actually met when they were 19 and got married on July 15, 1995, when they were both 25. Tyrone tried his hand at the police academy in North Carolina, but he never finished the training and he ended up finding work as a contractor. 
Lori worked at K Jewelers in the mall. Her sister actually worked there too, and they really had a great time working together. Lori and Tyrone lived in an apartment in the small village of Lakewood. According to Lori's sister, Lori was the pillar of the family. She was really fun to be around, and she had a shining personality and could really always make you feel better if you were down. Lori's older sister also adored her and later said, quote, My favorite memory of Lori was when she was two years old. She decided to follow me to school after I left to walk to school because she missed me too much. She was my little shadow while growing up, end quote. On the evening of June 7th, 1997, Tyrone, Lori, and her sister and brother-in-law all had dinner together at Red Lobster in Lakewood. Each couple left after dinner and went to their respective homes at around 10.30 p.m. with everything really seeming normal, but that all changed the next morning. Lori's sister Jennifer was woken up at 5 a.m. by a call from Tyrone who said that Lori was missing. Jennifer called her other sister Renee, who was actually the one that she went to dinner with the night before, and asked if Lori was there. Renee said no, but she did agree to ride around with Tyrone looking for Lori. Along the way, Tyrone stopped in front of a garbage dumpster and asked Renee to look inside. He made a comment about how it, quote, may not be good, end quote, when they found Lori. Renee later said, quote, I remember the sick feeling I had in my stomach and how scared I was to be alone in the car with him after he said that. I hadn't yet come to accept that Lori could have gotten in harm's way, end quote. So by 11 that morning, there was no sign of Lori. At 11.15, Tyrone called the Lakewood Busteye Police and reported her missing. Tyrone explained that he and his wife had gone to dinner the night before. He said that they had an argument after they got home and Lori left their apartment to go for a walk and smoke a cigarette at about 2 a.m., but she never came back. Officers looked around the Bova apartment and noticed that Lori took none of her personal belongings with her. She didn't take her purse, money, ID, and even her cigarettes were all there. But there were also no signs that a crime of any kind had taken place. For days, Lori's family and multiple police departments searched for her, even using helicopters, boats, dive teams, and search dogs, but there were no leads. It was soon learned that Lori had not used her bank account at all in the time that she'd been missing. After six days of searching and finding nothing, Lori's family asked for volunteers to help, and they set up a donation fund to raise a reward. Lori's sister, Renee, told New Chautauqua, This has been a nightmare. I know in my heart that something is wrong, but there will be time later for tears. Right now, we just need to do all we can do. Another sister said, Not contacting her family and friends is very much out of Lori's character. On June 15th, Lori and Tyrone's second wedding anniversary, 120 volunteers searched the local area, focusing on the wooded areas that were near Lori's apartment. The area that Lori and Tyrone lived was in a very heavily populated area, but just a few minutes away, there were very thick woods. The search unfortunately didn't lead to any clues, but the family continued to search every day until well into August, but they sadly weren't able to find any sign of Lori. Police announced on June the 27th that Lori's case was still considered a missing persons investigation and that Tyrone had not been charged with anything, but they revealed that Tyrone did have a criminal defense attorney, which he had hired on June 21st. That meant all the questions now had to go through his lawyer, which investigators said was actually hampering their investigation. The fact that Tyrone hired a defense attorney at all was really mind-boggling to the investigators. One of them said, quote, it is his constitutional right to have an attorney, but we are kind of mystified by it in this case. There's no evidence of any crime at this point. Tyrone did not speak directly to the police ever again after this. 
By August 7th, Lori's family was increasingly concerned as she still had not used her bank account and even the investigators were really starting to suspect foul play. Lori's family was desperate and they continued to search and they cooperated with the police, but Tyrone had pretty much just fallen off the face of the earth. He was really nowhere to be found. Tyrone essentially ghosted Lori's family and the police. He wouldn't return their calls and his attorney told the police not to contact him. Tyrone's mom claimed that he was distraught during this time and that he cried himself to sleep at night, but Lori's family felt that even if he was distraught, that wasn't an excuse to ignore them. The investigation continued, but still there were no signs of Lori. In September, investigators got a promising lead when a fisherman on Chautauqua Lake reported finding a long clump of human hair. Detectives thought the hair could belong to Lori, so they launched the search of the lake and spent the next few days looking for more evidence. On September 25th, authorities dragged part of the lake to search the bottom, and they collected a sweatshirt and some fiber-type items, which were also sent off for testing, along with the clump of hair. Lori's family waited anxiously for those results to come back, but it would be almost a month before they got their answers. Unfortunately, it was determined that none of the items from the lake belonged to Lori. This was really a huge disappointment for all involved. One detective said, quote, I have to admit, I'm a little disappointed this didn't turn out to be something. I would like to resolve this issue, end quote. Police said their missing person case would still continue. It doesn't seem like police tried to identify who the hair belonged to, but turns out that it looks like it had come from a hairbrush, not that it had been ripped from someone's scalp, so it likely wasn't considered suspicious in a normal context. Years passed, and in 1999, the DA's office received a tip from a man who claimed that investigators would find Lori's remains along the Southern Tier Expressway near Falconer. The DA's office and police went to the scene and started searching. They recovered a skull and a few other bones, and they sent them off for testing. They were hopeful that this also could be Lori, and they would be able to close Lori's case, but it ended up being just another frustrating dead end. The skeletal remains were actually from an elderly woman who died 85 years earlier. Whoa. This whole part really blows my mind, and I don't I don't get it. I don't get how we got here, but here's here's where we're going. So if you're wondering how this random tipster even knew about these remains from someone that died 85 years ago, how they ended up being on the highway, well, it turned out that the man, Laurel Huffman Jr., was actually a prisoner hoping to get early release in exchange for providing information about Lori. He was halfway through serving his 12-year sentence for larceny when he got the bright idea to have two of his friends steal the elderly woman's remains from a mausoleum and place them on the roadside. What in the world? I know. I don't get where... I mean, <laughs> I don't know. There's there's no words. Let's be honest. There's no words. <laughs> His plan, though, was to collect the $10,000 reward, which he promised to share with these friends. What a friend. First of all, $10,000 isn't that much split three ways. Isn't That's not going to go very far, number one. Number two, I don't know. Like These are some really good friends to say that they will break into a mausoleum and steal human remains to get you out. And he was already halfway through a 12-year sentence. It wasn't even that much longer he had. The whole thing just makes no sense. <laughs> I like that you're trying to justify all the things he or not justify, but you're like, <laughs> I can't believe all these things when it's clearly someone who just has a terrible idea. And like, you don't think they're going to look into how long these bones have been here or who they belong to. They're just going to be like, oh, obviously, Lori, thank you so much. Here's $10,000. Give me a break. <laughs> 
So Laurel was found to really be this career conman, and he was a notorious jailhouse snitch. He would say literally anything to get himself a deal, which that part I don't blame him. I would be that person as well. The list of stuff this guy really lied about is extensive, but just know there were dozens of instances where he claimed he had information about a case or he provided a false confession or testified to false information. In February, Huffman was formally charged with burglary in the theft of the skeletal remains. Authorities decided not to pursue charges against the two men Huffman put up to the task because they actually cooperated with the police. Huffman was actually later convicted of robbery in this case. Wild. And we still have so much more to get into after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Mandy and I are recovering homeschool moms. I say recovering because as it turns out, planning your kid's entire education every year is a lot of work and a lot of responsibility. And quite frankly, it was the hardest part about homeschooling. Thanks to K-12 powered schools, kids can learn at their own pace in their own home with an engaging curriculum that actually supports individual learning styles, which is really right up my son's alley. Whether you're starting school with your kindergartner or almost at the finish line with your senior, K-12 Powered Schools could be the thing that you've been looking for. K-12 Powered Schools has state-certified teachers who are trained as online educators. I really wish I had K-12 Powered Schools back when I was homeschooling my boys. Not only is it a tuition-free online accredited public school from K-12, but the responsibility of teaching is not on me. There are lots of different reasons why people decide a traditional classroom isn't really working for their kid. K-12 Powered Schools provides a great option that not only engages your kid, but also doesn't put the brunt work on you to actually do the teaching. Leave that to the experts at K-12 Powered Schools. Join the more than 2 million families who have been served by K-12 and empower your student to reach their full potential now. Go to k12.com slash moms today to learn more and find a tuition-free K-12 Powered School near you. That's the letter K, the number 12.com slash moms, k12.com slash moms. I spent the beginning of my summer looking for a new allergist for my son. I called a ton of places based off my insurance website to try to find the perfect doctor. Now, I don't know about you, but when I want to see a doctor, I want to see them now or even this week. But if you tell me your first availability is in a month or more, in the words of Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. But what does impress me is ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. That insurance filter is actually chef's kissed. It's absolutely perfect. But what I also love is the docs on ZocDoc all have verified reviews. So you're hearing from real people who have actually seen these doctors, not AI bots. And if that's not good enough, the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is 24 to 48 hours. Plus, sometimes you can even find same-day appointments. And the icing on top of this already perfect cake is that you can book your appointment online. No more calling an office, spewing out your entire medical history just to be told, please hold. I've used ZocDoc twice now in the past few months, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com mysteries and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mysteries. ZocDoc.com slash mysteries. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about the missing persons case of Lori Bove, who went missing from her apartment in Chautauqua County, New York. And the police have been searching for years for any sign of her. 
In February of 2000, after very little movement in Lori's case, her loved ones and the police announced a new $50,000 reward in hopes of re-energizing things and bringing in some new leads. At the same time, a thousand new posters were printed and distributed around town. Officers said that the case was still under investigation as a missing persons case, but unfortunately, none of this did anything to bring new information, and things really slowed way down for the investigation to the point where you could really say the case went cold. Then, in September of 2006, human remains were found in a densely wooded area of the county. Although it had been many years, authorities thought the remains could possibly belong to either Lori or another woman who had gone missing from the area in August of 2004, Yolanda Bindix. Yolanda was a 25-year-old woman from Jamestown who went missing on August 10, 2004 after leaving her shift at Family Dollar. She was the mother of four little girls. The night of her disappearance, Yolanda closed the family dollar and called her brother, who was watching her girls, to let him know that she was on her way, but she said she was going to stop at the grocery store on the way home and that she would be home in about an hour, but she never showed up. Yolanda was never seen again. Her car was found abandoned at an Arby's the next day, and officers concluded that she'd been abducted. The father of Yolanda's youngest daughter was a suspect, as well as a police officer that Yolanda happened to be dating at the time of her disappearance. At the time, it was suspected that Yolanda was dead. Police had been searching for her remains since she went missing when the set of remains was found in September of 2006. Ultimately, the remains were confirmed to be Yolanda's, and it was confirmed that she was in fact murdered. But to this day, her murder is still unsolved. Haley actually spoke with Yolanda's third-born daughter named Allie for an episode of Detective Perspective, as we mentioned in the beginning. Allie was just two years old when her mom went missing, and now she advocates for her mom's case. If you would like to hear more about Yolanda's case, as well as hear from Allie herself, you can check out Detective Perspective, which is on podcasts as well as on YouTube. The YouTube is actually super cool. It's very well done. It's like documentary level editing, so definitely worth checking out. And um, Haley just wanted to say a very special thanks to anyone who goes and checks that out. It really does mean so much to these families. In 2007, for the 10th anniversary, police told the Buffalo News that Lori's case was still open and they were still doing all they could to solve it, including recently re-interviewing people from the case. However, Tyrone was still being uncooperative and refusing to speak with authorities. Lori's mom said it really felt surreal that 10 years had passed and that the family still had hope until they found something different. She said, quote, I think about all the years that have passed and everything Lori has missed and what we've missed with her. I feel so blessed for the years Lori was in my life. Lori will be in my heart forever, end quote. In May of 2008, Lori's photo and information was added to a deck of cards which were distributed in jails. She was actually on the Ace of Diamonds. And if this sounds familiar, it's because last week we also discussed the missing persons case of Christy Jo Nichols, who also had her information put in the same deck of playing cards. And oddly enough, disappeared under very similar circumstances. By September of 2008, officers had re-interviewed 30 to 40 people, and through those interviews, they had learned some new information that led them to take the investigation in a different direction. They really never had any real cooperation from Tyrone. He was now remarried, and he had two sons and was living in North Carolina. Lori's family was grateful that authorities hadn't given up on solving her case. The family spokesperson said, quote, you see things like this happening on TV all the time, but we are living it. All we can do is not let her be forgotten and pray every day, end quote. Then in October of 2008, Chautauqua County was rocked by the disappearance of yet another woman, Corey Anderson. 
On October 28, 2008, Corey worked a shift at her part-time job at the library in Jamestown. At around 1 p.m. when she was on her way home, she stopped by her fiancé's job at the Lake County Dodge Car Dealership just to kind of say hi. Corey told him that she was headed home and she was last seen leaving the car dealership at approximately 1.15 p.m. Corey was supposed to meet with her son's teacher to go over plans for an upcoming Halloween party at 3.15 that afternoon, but when she didn't show up for the meeting or to pick her son up from school, the alarm was raised and Corey's mom, Vicky, reported her missing at about 3.45 p.m. Corey's family checked her house and saw evidence to suggest that Corey did go home after leaving the car dealership, which was just about 15 minutes away, so she would have been home at around 1.30. But now, her van, keys, and purse were missing, and it was noticed that one of her shoes was sitting on the stairs, but the matching shoe was also gone. Responding officers were immediately suspicious when they learned that Corey was missing, because Corey was actually somewhat familiar to them. Authorities knew of her in the sense that her ex-husband, Ken, had previously been ordered to stay away from her and had even been arrested for violating that order. Corey was a 36-year-old mother of three at the time of her disappearance. She was raised on a dairy farm in New York and described as being soft-spoken, easygoing, loving, and generous. When Corey was 18, she married her first husband and had two daughters, but the marriage unfortunately didn't work out and they divorced after seven years, leading Corey to move back in with her mom and stepdad for a little while. In the year 2000, Corey met Ken Anderson, which is the man who would soon become her second husband. Within a year of getting married, this couple welcomed a son into the family. Much like in Corey's first marriage, problems began to arise very early on with Ken, but Corey persisted in trying to make it work. Then, Corey learned that her marriage to Ken was actually legally invalid because he had never legally divorced the wife before her, so he was still married when he got married to Corey. Corey actually found out about this after she was looking through some of Ken's papers. She reached out to Ken's first wife, who married him when she was just 16 years old and was actually pregnant with their first child, and they would go on to have three more kids over their 12-year marriage. But this wife told Corey horror stories about her time as Ken's wife. She talked about how he would padlock the doors when he left for work, and he held her captive in their own home. He also physically abused her and threatened to kill her. She became so afraid of him that eventually she took their kids and left, and she encouraged Corey to do the same. Corey was no stranger to Ken's abusive ways. In fact, she had told her family that he had a violent temper and had been abusive towards her as well. Corey successfully separated herself and her kids from Ken and moved out on her own. But things took an unexpected turn when Ken started showing up at Corey's church. At first, Corey felt really good about this being a positive change for Ken, so she agreed to go to counseling with him in the hope of salvaging their relationship. In 2005, the family moved into a new home, but the issues within their relationship continued. At this time, Corey's two daughters from her first marriage were getting into their teens, which of course presents challenges on its own. At some point, Corey decided enough was enough and she left Ken for good. He moved out of the home, but Corey and the kids decided to stay there. To get by, Corey worked from home as a medical transcriptionist, and she worked part-time as a technical assistant at Jamestown Community College's library. This allowed her to be available for her kids when they got home from school, while still bringing in the money to support them. Meanwhile, Ken continued to try to pursue Corey and get back into her good graces. This behavior turned into stalking, and Ken even attached a GPS device under Corey's car. 
When Corey discovered this, she went to the police and had a protective order issued for herself and her children, and Ken was arrested for placing the GPS device there. But that didn't stop him. Two weeks later, he was arrested for violating the protective order. Because of this, Ken was put on probation. So by this time, Corey's moved on. It's early 2008, and she started a new relationship, and by the fall of that year, she was actually engaged and had plans to get married in the summer or fall of 2009. But despite the fact that Corey was working to establish a new relationship and life, she still confided in her mom that she was scared of Ken and worried what he would do next. Corey was very nervous that Ken would pop up, and she said she was vigilant about always locking her windows and her doors. In July 2008, Corey sent an email to a relative that read in part, quote, Things with Ken have not fully resolved and probably never will. I have come to the conclusion that he is psycho and thrives off trying to make others feel like they are insane. We finalized a visitation schedule in the middle of January, where by July 1st, he would have had a regular visitation schedule, meaning every other weekend and one night a week. But he left town two weeks after the schedule was all put in place. It was a gradual, unsupervised visitation schedule. He went to Alabama until June. I heard he got fired from another job, so he is back. He's not asked about visitation with their son. The only thing he has taken court action on is the support. I would like to get the property all worked out and just move on as much as possible. I feel like he is dragging his feet with that because of his control issue, end quote. By October 2008, Corey and Kim's divorce was about to be finalized. Before that could happen, she went missing. When police learned that Corey had allegedly disappeared, her history with Ken was the very first thing on their minds. They put out an APB on Corey's car and called in the New York State Police for help. For the next few days and weeks, police and family members searched high and low for any sign of Corey. Many of these searches were in wooded areas across the street from Corey's house. There was a 447-acre state park that was actually over there, so they had quite a bit of land to search. Her family also set up a website called findcorey.com, as well as distributed flyers and collected donations for a $15,000 reward. On October the 30th, Corey's van was discovered by a hunter who found it abandoned in a huge field. The car couldn't be seen from the road, and it was parked very close to the Wellman State Forest Line. The owner of the land there realized that the car actually belonged to the missing woman, Corey Anderson, and immediately called the police to report it. The location where the car was found was just a two-mile drive from Corey's house, but if you were to walk through the woods, you would only have to walk a half a mile to get there. Furthermore, the owner of the property said that he actually knew Ken Anderson. They were friendly enough that he even allowed Ken to hunt on his property for years. He said that he hadn't seen anything strange or suspicious in the days leading up to Corey's car being discovered there. So the state police recovered the car and they sent it to a lab for forensic testing. The area that the car was found in was also searched for more evidence. Later that night, detectives questioned Ken for several hours and searched his home. Details of that interview are currently unknown, but the DA said that they couldn't rule out foul play and therefore they were treating the case as such. A vigil for Corey was held on November 1st. At that point, there were still no new developments in her case. Two weeks later, on November 14th, Corey's family asked for any hunters who might be going out hunting that weekend to look for Corey while they were out. There had been two snowfalls since Corey went missing, but all the snow had melted now, which could potentially reveal new evidence. Corey's mom also spoke out and said that if anyone had kidnapped Corey, she was begging them to let her go. 
At this point, the DA's office said that Corey's case was being treated as a criminal matter, and they would later name Ken as their only person of interest. A detective told the Post-Journal, quote, I know that everyone involved with the investigation and the search understands how important it is to find Corey as soon as possible for the sake of her family and the community. We will leave no stone unturned, end quote. For Thanksgiving that year, Corey's family set the table with an extra plate for her. They held on to the hope that Corey was being held captive but alive and that the kidnapper would let her go. Sadly, Corey didn't come home, and by December, the reporting on the story had slowed down. Corey's cousin told Investigation Discovery, quote, Our hearts ache. How could this happen? It feels as though time is standing still. While we struggle to be heard and tell all who will listen, the real world moves at its normal rapid pace, preparing for the holidays, oblivious to our pain. Did this really happen? It is surreal, end quote. By 2009, there was even less reporting, but in April of that year, a group of 200 volunteers helped search areas near Corey's home, but they didn't find anything related to the case. Around the one-year anniversary of Corey's disappearance, human remains were found in a nearby county. Authorities were hopeful that these remains could belong to either Corey or possibly Lori Bove, the first woman that we talked about today, but dental records confirmed that they didn't belong to either of the missing women. As a side note, in 2013, Lori's family endured the 16-year anniversary since she had gone missing. Police said they were still investigating, but they were still frustrated over the lack of cooperation from Lori's then-husband, Tyrone. They believed there were people who knew things that just hadn't come forward for whatever reason. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Your pet's a member of the family, so don't feed them like they're in the doghouse. Introducing Nom Nom, where fresh dog food is customized to perfection for your dog or pup. Their personalized portions are tailored to meet your specific dog's unique needs, ensuring they can thrive and be at their very best. There's no mystery ingredients in this puppy chow, as Nom Nom is crafted with real, whole foods that you can see and recognize, free from any harmful additives or fillers that contribute to bloating and low energy. Plus, Nom Nom is backed by the latest science and insights, and their nutrition-packed recipes are literally designed by board-certified veterinary nutritionists, which guarantees optimal health and happiness for your favorite pet. And keeping convenience in mind, they prepare the meals fresh and deliver them directly to your door at no extra cost. Nom Nom has already won the hearts of millions of good dogs, just like yours and mine. And Nom Nom is so confident in their commitment to quality that they offer a money-back guarantee. If your dog isn't absolutely loving it within 30 days, they'll gladly refund your first order. As nice as that guarantee is, you're not going to need it. My dog Remy is a total Nom Nom head. He does that thing where he licks his bowl and then drags it out looking for more Nom Nom. I know when I fuel my body with real food, I feel a whole lot better. And it's the same for Remy. His current favorite dish is chicken cuisine, which has chicken, sweet potatoes, spinach, and squash. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash moms. Spelled trynom.com slash moms for 50% off. Trynom.com slash moms. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. 
New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were discussing the two missing persons cases of Lori Beauvais and Corey Anderson. The Chautauqua County authorities have been investigating both of these cases for years, and they are still both unsolved cases. In the spring of 2016, New York police got a tip regarding Corey's case that led them to search an area near where her van was found. They used metal detectors and ended up finding Corey's car keys and her missing shoe. Remember, we mentioned that they had found one of her shoes in her home on the stairs, but that matching shoe was missing. So they actually were able to find that in 2016 near where her van was found. Corey's purse that has a GH Bass & Company logo on it has never been found. The discovery of the car keys and the shoe all that time later, at that time it had been 19 years, was really, really hard for Corey's family because it brought up all the horrible feelings and memories that they had, but yet it still didn't really bring any answers. By this time, Corey's ex-husband, Ken, was now married to wife number six, but it wouldn't be long before he found himself in another sticky situation with the law. Although Ken was married again, he was actually estranged from that wife, and she even had a restraining order against him in 2019. Ken had a history of being extremely controlling and physically violent with her. 
In November, Ken was arrested at a Days Inn hotel in Kentucky on charges of kidnapping, rape, and unlawful imprisonment of his wife. According to the wife, Ken abducted her in Jamestown, New York, and took her to Richmond, Kentucky against her will, forced her into a hotel room, raped her, and threatened to kill her if she tried to escape. The woman was reported missing, and the police were thankfully able to rescue her. Ken pleaded not guilty in this case. Following his arrest, Corey's mother told the Huff Post, maybe this will be the beginning of the end. Corey's sister told Spectrum News One, quote, I'm happy that he's in jail, that he can't hurt anybody else. I feel awful for the woman that this has happened to. However, on the other side, he's not in there because of Corey, so that bothers me. I mean, I'm glad he's in there, but in a way, it's that he's still getting away with it, end quote. By this point, both the police and Corey's family believed that Corey was dead. Ken ended up pleading guilty to the amended sentence of unlawful imprisonment, and he received 12 months in jail. And as for what ended up happening in Lori's case, her ex-husband Tyrone never did cooperate with the investigators. And in 2018, while he and his family, his wife and two sons that we mentioned, were vacationing in Utah, a car that was traveling in the wrong lane crashed into them head on. And Tyrone, his wife, and one of his sons were actually killed in this accident, with his other son being left in critical condition. I actually went and looked up articles about this because I saw that it was actually kind of recent being in 2018. And car accidents like that are one of those, you know, it's one of those terrible things that like, I don't know why people are fascinated by car accidents and stuff. And it's one of my biggest fears, really. But when I saw that that's what happened to him, I went and looked up the articles about the crash. And it looked absolutely devastating, like just wild to think um, that that was the fate that Tyrone and his wife and his son were met with, especially given everything in this case, you know, being so up in the air and Tyrone having probably more answers than anyone really had. um, And that he ended up losing his life that way. Uh, But following Tyrone's death, the Lakewood Busty police chief told Spectrum One News, quote, he knew the answers to where she was and what happened to her. He was our person of interest in the case, and he still is, even though he is now deceased. The chief said the crash was so tragic, and it left them without a link to Lori. He said, quote, it does dim some of the hope that we're ever going to solve this. Lori's family released a statement that said they were praying for the son who was still in critical condition at the time. Wow. In 2019, police told WGRZ that they were still actively investigating Corey Anderson's disappearance. They're still doing searches and using new DNA technology to test evidence collected from Corey's home and van. By this point, Corey's mother had accepted that she was most likely dead and she believed that her husband, Ken, was responsible. In July of 2021, police talked about the case with the Post-Journal. The lead investigator who had worked on the case from 1997 to 2013 had retired, but he never stopped thinking about Lori's case. He reiterated that he still believed there were a few individuals who knew something that could bring closure to the family if they would just come forward with the information they have. Lori's sister Jennifer told the journal that the last 24 years had gone by fast. She said, quote, You just go on doing everyday things like work, life in general. Every birthday, anniversary, date of her disappearance, and holidays are the hardest. Wondering who she would be today, what her kids would have looked like, what career she would have chosen. In my mind, she is still 26, end quote. In September of 2021, two sets of remains were found in northern Chautauqua County, and many people wondered if they belonged to Lori and or Corey. Both sets of remains were sent for testing. 
Lori's family said they hoped there would be a match, but if the remains didn't belong to Lori, they were still happy for another family who would be getting answers, which is so sad because the answer is still like someone has died, but at the same time, they know where their kid is maybe. So her dad talked about how difficult it was every time remains were found and how it just reopened the family's wounds. By this time, Lori's mom had sadly passed away without ever knowing what happened to her daughter. Corey's family also spoke to the Post Journal and said they were hoping for a match as well. Corey's mom, Vicky, said all she wanted was closure and said that it was so hard just not knowing what happened to her. Corey's sister, Autumn, said, quote, There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her. And there are days that I sit in my vehicle and talk to her. She was my best friend, end quote. Testing on both sets of remains concluded that neither set was a match to Lori or Corey. After the remains were ruled out as Lori and Corey's, a detective working on Corey's case told Spectrum One News that the sheriff's office was going to team up with the DA's office and other law enforcement agencies to set up an unsolved crime division. That division will work on Corey's case. State police further said that Ken was still a person of interest in Corey's case. So again, Haley is our little angel, and she reached out to the state police just this month, just a few days ago, and they said that Corey's case is still open and active, and the lead detective, um, who was named Joseph Smith, he still follows leads and conducts interviews, and Joseph said that the family still holds yearly searches in the area where Corey's car was found. He also said the state police are no longer commenting on suspects or persons of interest in any cases, including Corey's. However, he said they have not ruled anyone out, including Ken. So just to do a quick little recap, Lori Beauvais was last seen at around 10.30 p.m. on June 7, 1977. She was reported missing the following morning. Her husband, Tyrone, said that he and Lori had gotten into an argument and she left the house and she was never seen again. When she went missing, Lori was 26 years old, 5 foot 4, 110 pounds. She is white with brown hair and green eyes, and she was last seen wearing a gray sweatshirt with Freeport Bahamas on the front, as well as gray sweatpants and white sneakers. Corey Anderson was last seen at around 1:15 p.m. on October 28, 2008. She was reported missing that day. Her estranged husband Ken is a suspect in her disappearance. When she went missing, Corey was 36 years old, 5 foot 11, 170 pounds. She has green eyes and chin-length blonde hair. She was last seen wearing black corduroy pants, a black leather jacket, and small wire-rimmed glasses. Anyone with information regarding Lori's case is asked to call the Lakewood Busty Police at 716-763-9563. You can remain anonymous. If you don't have any tips but would like to help Lori's case, you can share her missing persons poster and join the Facebook group called Still Missing Lori C.C. Bove. And we will link both of those, of course, in the show notes. Um, and for Corey, if you have any information regarding Corey's disappearance, you are asked to call the New York State Police at 716-665-3114. And again, if you don't have any tips but would still like to help Corey's case, you can share her missing poster and join the Facebook group called Help Find Corey Anderson. And I just want to say another huge thank you to Haley. She worked so hard to put all the information together for these stories. And I know we don't cover a lot of missing person cases on our podcast. We usually do a lot of solved cases. And um, I know how important it is to get the word out about cases that are still uh, still look they're still looking for answers in these cases. So thank you so much for putting this together, Haley.
Bailey and for the collaborative effort that you made with Detective Perspective. I'm um, really looking forward to checking out the full story of Yolanda Bendix on um, Derek's podcast. Yeah, and we will also have that linked in the show notes, so you should just be able to click over and listen to that. One thing that uh, really was in my mind, I don't know, just uh, I think it was Corey's family that said that they'll always picture her as being 26. Just the idea of, of not seeing someone grow up and you get older, but they never do. I don't know. That just kind of hit me. It's sad. Yeah, it's very sad. Feels. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the story for this week. Uh, Melissa, let's turn the page and move on to last thing before we go, before we go, <laughs> before we get Good out one. of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so Melissa, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised about the topic this week. Uh, no, I don't either. I mean, I'm actually more surprised that it took us the entire summer, basically, to come up with this one. We're basically just sharing fun facts about heat, heat-related things, I think is where we landed. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think um, so. I don't okay. know, but I always enjoy when we kind of just did our own thing and then we get to find out if we did the same thing <laughs> or if we did something totally different. Yeah. If you're wondering how much of this show is rehearsed or practiced before, uh, zero. No, absolutely yeah. nothing. <laughs> We are doing it live, baby. Um, So Mandy, my first question, uh, if you're cool with that, is um, how long was the longest barbecue? Like on record, how long was the longest barbecue? Like, like an hour event or like cooking on the grill? Like, what are we talking about? How long has meat stayed on the grill or how long has a party gone on? (laughs) It's like a barbecue. It was actually to benefit um, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So it was for a cause, but it was like literally just keeping grills going. Like a thousand hot dogs were grilled, 558 burgers, 200 ears of corn. Like they were busy. How many hours do you think it went on? I'm going to say 72 hours. Mandy, that is your best guess maybe ever. It wasn't 72, sorry. Um, it was 80 <laughs> hours, but that was so – I would have probably wow. said 800 just because I'm not that bright. I was um, just trying to like do the mental math on how long it would take to cook 200 years of corn. So Oh, that was smart. That was smart. I might have given you too much information. Yeah, they won like a um, whatever a, – not Ripley's, believe it or not. The other one, world no. record. Yeah. Uh, um. Guinness. Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> yes, that is one. So yes, good job. Awesome. So um, I didn't do the same thing you did because I don't have a question for you. <laughs> I just have <laughs> I just have some information to, Great. to impart on you. I can kind of turn it into a question though. Um, let's see. I, I will make it a question actually. So okay. since we've been talking a lot, well, everyone's been talking a lot about how it's been like the hottest month on record or I guess since record keeping began I saw something that said it was like the hottest day in 120,000 years or something like that I'm like well how do they know because they obviously didn't have I know thermometers back then or record keeping so um, (laughs) I don't know how they really knew that but then I wanted to look up I thought it would be fun to find out what actually was the hottest uh temperature and what day it occurred in our lovely state of Florida because we're always talking about how hot it is so Mm -hmm. Melissa what do you think was the hottest temperature ever reached in Florida? 115. Close. It was 109, Dang which it. is 
plenty hot. Yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> why am I wanting it to be higher? <laughs> right. Um, and actually, this happened. This temperature was recorded just north and east of Tallahassee, so it was actually up a Whoa. little further, which is surprising. You would think it would be down in South Florida. But when? How long ago do you think this was? It seems like it would have been yesterday, but it actually yeah. wasn't. When do you think we hit 109 degrees here in Florida? Let's say 1908. It's a little more recent than that, but not okay, much. It was uh, June 29th, 1931. So. All that time that we spend saying how hot it is and it's like the hottest ever, it actually isn't. It hasn't been the hottest ever for a very long time. (laughs) And that was before ACs were in Florida. We have like some bank here on the billboard says like we were here even before AC. And I'm like, you know what? Actually, that's very good. That's a good selling point for me. Like you really have been around a long time if if you were here in Florida when we didn't have the air conditioning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. I would never make it in a life without... Like no modern, modern I, day luxuries <laughs> i had to be born when i was born truly like it just would have been over for me from the beginning did it say what town it was it was in monticello oh monticello yeah monticello. well i think monticello is like the real way people say it but in florida it's monticello okay oh, i forgot we're sense. not we're we're not cultured <laughs> no we're not so whatever it is like it's very like my best friend lives in cairo but the actual name is Cairo, <laughs> but I want to move Georgia, on from pronunciations because I'm oh gosh, PTSD. get us out of here. <laughs> put put, uh, we got it. Stop now. it. We got it. <laughs> thank you for all your emails. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Everyone okay, was so nice, but here's the thing I love. Sorry, I'm going back to that for a second. The thing I loved about the emails about shot put versus shot put is every person did a slightly different way of like showing us how it was how it should be like put your coffee on the whatever so every (laughs) everyone gave an example and they were all slightly different which i just loved i was was like getting a little piece into everyone's brain it was kind of cool it was the most polarizing topic i think we've ever had on the show there were some people who said they thought we said it right there was other people who definitely informed us that we did it wrong some people were very nice some people said it was charming some people were very upset some people said they turned it off (laughs) some people didn't even listen to the episode it was a mess but anyway (laughs) I wasn't even going to bring it up because I just wanted to bury it. But I can't even – I still am truly just like – But, Mandy, listen to this. scarred for life. Put, (laughs) put. It's not that different. Put, put. (laughs) Don't say it's not that different. In in my brain, I don't – I I truly don't even really hear a difference. You say it once. No, I'm not saying it ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fine. Put, put. It is the same exact thing. Continue. Oh, my gosh. All right. Let's move on. Okay. Mandy, um, in what – okay. The largest ice cream co- scoop, like just a scoop, weighed 3,010 pounds. What flavor ice cream was it? Was it vanilla, pistachio, or strawberry? I believe it was strawberry. How did you know that? I feel like this might have come up on like a Google This City or like a something one time. And you listened? I might have. I don't know. I feel like I just pulled that out from like the archives of my you brain. You knew it. <laughs> that was crazy. I really thought throwing in that pistachio might throw you off, but you got it. Nice work. Oh, wow. Yeah. Impressive. Okay. So back to heat. You just went for fun things like ice cream and whatever yeah. the first thing was. <laughs> it was also fun. Um, so anyway, my next thing though is, again – about how hot everyone thinks it is. And it's just really not as hot as everyone thinks it is. So, um, Melissa, did you know that there was a big heat wave in 1936? Have you ever heard of the North American heat wave? Obviously, yes. 
Have no, you? I haven't. No, of course <laughs> I not. Say, wow, I'm like very impressed if you have. No. <laughs> so this actually took place in the middle of the Great Depression. Talk about a time <sighs> to be alive. Um, they lived. They really lived through a lot during the 1930s. Um, but I guess they had this dust bowl is what they yeah, called I it. I do know that. Yeah, and it was like very, very hot. It was like one of the hottest summers like ever. So they had the North American heat wave in 1936. And um, there's really no question here. It's just like fun. It's all fun facts that are Is it not fun? fun at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they actually had a death toll that exceeded 5,000. 5,000 people died during this um, huge, huge heat wave. There was like crops destroyed, record high temperatures across the country. Um, Yikes. Crazy, crazy. So I just want to say that I'm thankful that we haven't hit um, temperatures like that. Although, like we said, it is very, very hot lately. The other fun fact that I had was that down in South Florida this past week, they actually recorded the highest surface temperature of the ocean ever, like Uh since recording. It was 100 degrees at the surface of the ocean. In the ocean? In the ocean, which is like, they were saying it was crazy because it was like the temperature of a hot tub. Like it was like 100.4 degrees. That was like the temperature of a hot tub, which is crazy and scary too to think about because warm water is what really drives hurricanes to become powerful and strong and everything. So yeah, so seeing that, I was like, oh my gosh, and it's just getting into August and we're really starting to get into that like... Hurricane. I feel like in Florida. Did we, we don't... Freaky Friday each other? Because I don't this know. Seems we might like have my thing. I'm spiraling. <laughs> I know. You told me to look up heat things, and then I like started <laughs> going down like this like rabbit hole of like. I should have given you mine. Um, yeah. Because mine's more. Uh, mine's uh, not making me so paranoid. But yours really just. Uh, I've like held on to hope every year during the hurricane reports where they're like. The water's never been cooler. So you know, I'm like, all right, great. This is great. This is absolutely terrible and terrifying to hear it is yeah it is but would you like one last fun thing to hear sure okay mandy i first of all didn't even know this was a thing but how much does the eiffel tower grow in the summer because of the heat i'm not going to explain the science you guys are smarter than me but every year during the summer it grows a few inches which it might I, okay, I'm again not getting into the science. Never mind. I'm stopping myself there. Just assume he expands things. Don't do this. Don't do this. Put 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 put. <laughs> okay, three inches, six inches, nine inches. I cannot imagine it growing nine inches. I'm going to say three. It's six inches. It grows a half a foot. Dang. I know. I was pretty impressed. That is. Um, very interesting. I did not realize that it's a grower, not a shower. Stop it, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, that's really interesting. Um, I have never seen the Eiffel Tower with its extra six inches or without. <laughs> okay, let's close this out. This is not going well. <laughs> Hey, if you're coming here from Detective Perspective, nice to meet you. Um, (laughs) This is what it is. Um, And if not, make sure you listen to Detective Perspective. We'll have it again in our show notes. You can join Patreon, patreon.com slash moms of mysteries podcast. We have bonus episodes. We're doing a live thing tonight. We we are just so busy over there. Plus, you get ad free stuff. So um, come check that out. So fun. I love Patreon. Yes. Come check us out on Patreon. Perfect. Mandy. All right, guys. All right, that's the story for this week. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye.